John chapter number 21, and before I read my text this morning, we've been preaching uh, from the gospel of John on the four times in this gospel where you read the little statement, the disciple whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And remember now, that does not mean that he loved John and did not love the others because he loves everybody. Number two, it does not mean that he loved John more than he loved the others because there is no variableness or shadow of turning in him. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? I believe that means that John chose to cultivate a more intimate, close relationship with Jesus Christ than the others. John had gone further. John had drawn closer. John had gone deeper. He was not satisfied just being one of the twelve. He wanted to know Jesus in a personal way. And again, I hope you don't have that philosophy. Well, just drop me off in heaven on the way up. No, I want to enjoy my Christian life. God didn't save us just to take us to heaven. He saved us that we might have fellowship with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to go beyond convenient Christianity. I'd like to know him better, wouldn't you? I want to know more about my Lord. He cultivated that close relationship. And the four times that that little phrase is mentioned in the book of John, it gives you a characteristic of someone who has drawn closer to Christ. Remember chapter 13 in the upper room, he sat where the others wouldn't sit. In that room, leaning on Jesus' bosom, was that one disciple whom Jesus loved. He was not satisfied being in the same house. He was not satisfied even sitting at the same table. He wanted to lean upon Christ. Hear the heartbeat of heaven. Feel the hot breath of God. He was sitting where the others don't sit. Can I remind you today, there is a place of quiet rest near the heart of God. You can get as close to Him today As you want to. Let's sit together in heavenly places. And then last Sunday we incorporated that with Mother's Day. When we go to the cross where Jesus is being crucified. When all the other disciples were ran away and they were afraid. Hid in the upper room. Lazarus wasn't there who received the miracle. The blind man wasn't there that received the miracle. Who was the only man outside of the centurion and the Roman soldiers. Standing by the cross of Jesus, John the Beloved, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Because I promise you today, when you sit when the others don't sit, when it comes time to stand boldly for Christ, you know who stands by his cross? Those who sit at his feet. And he is standing where the others wouldn't stand. And remember at the end of that passage when Jesus saw his mother, Mary, He put her into the care of John the Beloved. And the Bible said from that hour, he took her into his own home and he got the privilege to take care of the earthly mother of Christ. Because when you sit when the others don't sit and you'll stand when the others won't stand, God will let you serve when the others won't serve. You say, I really want God to use my life. You got to get close to the cross. And the closer you get to him, the more he will bless and use your life. 
And may I want to emphasize again today, it is a privilege, it is an honor to serve the king. That God would save us is a miracle. That God would save us is a miracle. But then use us to win somebody else to Christ. What a privilege, what an honor, what an awesome responsibility. And if you'll sit where the others don't sit, take a stand where the others won't stand, God will let you serve when the others don't serve. I want to come now to the fourth place where this is mentioned, John chapter 21. And it's amazing how this is found in our text today. Let's preach from this text a while. John chapter 21, verse number 3. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And say this little phrase out loud with me. And that night they caught nothing. Now this doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Please do not write this in the margin of your Bible. But if you're keeping notes or you want to make a mental note, write down, and Brother Joe must have been with them. Because if I go fishing, they say, boy, you should have been here yesterday. They was really biting. Or, or they'll say later, we, after you left, preacher, we really caught them. Sometimes I felt like my name ought to be Jonah instead of Joe. But it says, and that night, other nights they'd been successful, but that night, They caught nothing. Verse 4, I love this. But when the morning was now come, let me tell you, you may be in a night season, but hold on, morning's going to come. But when morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship. That's approximately six and a half feet. But it's more than measurements. It's obedience. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. They cast therefore and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now watch your Bible. Say this out loud with me. Therefore... That disciple whom Jesus loved, who was the first one to know it was Christ. Because when you sit where the others don't sit, and you stand where the others don't stand, and you serve when the others don't serve, you'll see what the others don't see. You will have a spiritual perception of what God is doing in your life. And therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisherman's coat unto him, for he was naked and had cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid their own and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, 
153. Brother, they went from zero to 153. They went from nothing to multitude, nets full, great fishes. They went from failure to success. All because somebody on that boat knew who Jesus was. So many, the Bible says, that the net was not broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples now durst ask him, who art thou knowing that it was the Lord? I'm glad that night in the midst of their bewilderment and confusion, the morning came. And God took their nothing and gave them something special. I have three titles for one sermon. You just better be glad I'm not like some of my friends and have one uh, title and three sermons. But I thought about preaching on this text from zero to 150. And then I thought about from nothing to everything. But I think I've settled on this title right here. When that night becomes the morning. When that night becomes the morning. Because in verse 4 it says, And that night they caught nothing. But verse 5 says, But when the morning was now come. When that night became the morning. And I'm glad the Bible does say in Psalm 30 in verse 5, Though weeping may endure for the night, joy cometh in the morning. Let's look in verse number 4 at what that night was. It's described for us in the text. That night was three things. Number one, it was a night of frustration. It said in that night they caught nothing. Can I remind you today who those fishermen were? They were not weekend stump thumpers. They didn't have a Zepco 33 and a little fishing worm. These were professional fishermen. They had raised their family. They had made their living on that same little lake, the Sea of Galilee. They had caught multitudes before. They had been successful before. But that night, They caught nothing. That had to be confusing. That had to be frustrating. That had to be bewildering. What I've done before is no longer working. I've used the same tactic. I've used the same net. I've been here before and before I've been successful. But it seems like now nothing is working. I wish I could tell you that every moment, every day of your life, You are going to be a great success. But there are going to be days of frustration. Preacher, I read my Bible like I have before. I went to church like I have before. I prayed like I have before. And it just seems like I'm bewildered. I'm confused. And I don't know what to do. I promise you today, if you fill your mind full of the daily news articles, that we will be bewildered. We will be frustrated. We will be confused. But I found out something today. When I don't know what's going on around me, God already knows how it's going to turn out. He is never bewildered. He is never discombobulated. He is never frustrated. The Lord knows 
what he's going to do. He knew there would be a fire. He knew there would be a fish. He knew there would be a blessing coming their way. They just had to trust him in the darkness. And may I say to you today, don't ever doubt in the darkness what God has showed you in the light. We know that God answers prayer. We know that God is present. And we know that God is real, whether anything is happening or not. Because God is in control of your fishing trip and mine. That night, that night was a night of frustration. I believe, secondly, that night was a night of fatigue. I believe they were tired. I believe they were weary. When people fished in that day, there was no motors. There was no engines. They had to hoist the sails. They had to row the boat. They had to cast and drag the nets. It was probably hard on their shoulders and their back and their muscles. And they were probably giving it everything they had. But it seems like that night their labor and their toil is in vain. And I don't believe they were tired. I believe they were tarred. You see, is there a difference between tired and tarred? Yeah, you can get over being tired, but if you're tired, you take a while to get over that. I mean, their back is hurting. Their muscles is hurting. They had given it their best, but they were fatigued. They were weak. They were weary. And ladies and gentlemen, if it was not possible for God's people to become weary, why would the Lord tell us in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 8 not to be weary and well-doing? Because the Lord knows our frame and He knows our weakness and sometimes we're tired. We're weary and we're bewildered and we're fatigued and we're just tired of the struggle. But I'm glad like Paul said, when I'm weak in my strength, I'm always strong in God's strength. God said to Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And you remember the weakest moments of our life. Our strength doesn't come from ourselves. It doesn't come from our intellect, our talent, and our ability. Our strength comes from the Lord. He is the source of our strength and the source of our power. And so when you're weary, when you're fatigued, sail on, fish on, trust on, pray on. The morning is about to come. That night, that night, that night was a night of frustration. It was a night of fatigue. But notice what he said in the text that night was a night of failure. The Bible said they fished and they toiled all that night, say this little word with me, and caught nothing. And I know a lot of people will have you try to think, you know, that every time they pray, they ring the bell. And everything they ask for comes to pass right then. But ladies and gentlemen, there's times when we pray and seemingly nothing happens. We witness and nothing happens. We tithe, we give, and seemingly nothing happens. I thought about Elijah's servant in First Kings. God said it's going to rain. And it went three and a half years and it didn't rain. But when God says it's going to rain, somebody hunt an umbrella. It's going to rain. And Elijah told that servant, said, go to the top of the hill and let me know what you see. And the servant came back and said, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. And Elijah said, go seven times. You know, he had to get tired of going and seeing nothing seven times. But on that seventh time, he came back and said, it's not a big rain, 
But I do see the, the cloud, the size of a man's hand. And before they could get off of that Mount Carmel, the Bible said there came a great rain. You said, but I prayed and nothing happened and I witnessed and nothing happened. I hoped, I trusted, I believe and nothing happened. It's not over yet. Because the God of the Bible can take your nothing and turn it into something and turn your something into everything. That night was failure. That night they had nothing. But aren't you glad the story doesn't end with that night? The story doesn't end with them tossing the nets aside and says, forget fishing. The story doesn't end with them being tired and weary and bewildered and discombobulated and confused and nothing. It doesn't end and they're nothing. God wrote another verse. Aren't you glad in your life God wrote another verse? And I come to tell somebody this morning, you've trusted, you've prayed, you've worked, you've hoped, you've believed, you've dreamed. You've done everything you know to do to keep your boat afloat and seemingly nothing, seemingly there is nothing. Can I remind you, wait upon the Lord. He shall renew thy strength. You will mount up with wings as eagles. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. Because God is the one who's the master of our lives. And he takes nothing and brings something out of nothing. And by the way, he's got a good track record in doing that. You say he does? Yeah, he's got a good track record doing that. Because one day he stepped out upon nothing and said, let there be. There was no sun, so he created one. There was no moon, so he created one. There is no earth, there was no earth, so he created one. There were no oceans and trees and flowers, and he created some. There was no living humans, and God created some. He stepped out upon nothing and brought something beautiful. And if God can step out upon nothing and bring something as beautiful as planet Earth, God can step into the nothing of your prayer life and the nothing of your worship life and seemingly the nothing of your family life and speak a word of power and faith and unction and hope, and God can bring something. Out of nothing because there's no boundaries and borders or limits to who God is and what God can do. That night, that night, I'm preaching to somebody, you feel like you're in a that night. You're in a that night in your family. You're in a that night in your health. You're in a that night in your life. Whatever the challenge, whatever the circumstance, whatever the problem may be, don't be blinded by the clouds of that night. You say, do you think the disciples got blinded by the clouds of that night? Oh, yes, I really do. Because the Bible said while they're out there and they're fatigued and they're sorrow and they're trouble, Jesus is just standing on the shore talking to them. But they don't know who he is. And I want to say, hey guys, do y'all remember about three years before this? At the beginning of y'all's ministry in Luke chapter 5. When y'all told another night and caught nothing. And Jesus stood on the boy and said, cast it on the other side. And you cast it on the other side and you hauled in a great load. Have you forgotten what happened three years ago? Evidently, 
You say, Brother Joe, what are you saying? Man, sometimes the present distress, trouble, confusion, trial clouds us from even great victories of the past. Sometimes our past experiences are clouded by the present day difficulties. If you don't believe me, think just a moment. Is there anybody in this room this morning saved? And you know it. And you're glad about it. And you're on your way to heaven. Why should you, why should we, let me, we, why should we ever doubt what God can do? After saving our diabolical, forever lost, eternally bound souls to a lake of fire, while if God can forgive you of all of your sins, take away all of your past, keep you from a devil's hell, take you to heaven when you die. Nothing else can't be all that big. But I know he saves. I know he heals. I know he delivers. I know he supplies. We've watched God move in our life. We've watched God heal in our life. We've watched God deliver in our life. We've watched God answer prayer in our life. We know he can. We know he has. But sometimes the present difficulty and the present disturbance and the present confusion clouds our mind. We know he has. We know he can. We're just wondering if he will. But, but can your preacher tell you something today? The God that can and the God that has is the God that will. I need some help right there now. The God that has and the God that can is the God that will. I wonder if there's anybody here today, you know God has, you know God can. If you know God has, raise your right hand. If you believe God can, raise your left hand. If you don't know your right from your left, just raise both of them and say, God will. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, in the name of Jesus, God will, God will. We know He can, we know He has, we're just wondering, will He? Will he hear this time? Will he answer this time? Will he meet our need this time? Ladies and gentlemen, he is God. He has never failed. He's never forgotten us. He's never forsaken one of his children. And Leroy, he's not about to start with you and your family. That night, that night, the story doesn't end that night. The book doesn't close that night. God dipped the ink of mercy into the veil of love and with a quiver of hope. He wrote verse number five. But, I like them conjunctions. I like the ands when God adds to the description. And he is good. And Jesus is. But I like these that are contrast. You mean, what do you mean contrast? All right. Verse four. That night, nothing. But. When the morning was now come. It's dark, but when the morning was now come. There was nothing, but when the morning was now come. They were weary, but when the morning came. They didn't know what to do, but when the morning came. That night is a zero. That morning is 153. 
That night it is nothing. And then the morning says a multitude of great fishes. That night was failure, but the morning brought success. That night brought confusion, but the morning brought victory. That night they're wondering, where is God in all of this mess? And when the morning came, he was standing right in front of them. Somebody got up this morning and your bewilderment and your lack of faith said, Oh God, where are you in the midst of my trouble, in the midst of my heartache? Oh God, where are you in the midst of all of this mess? And what you don't know, he is where he always has been, standing in the shadows, sitting upon his throne, listening to your cry. It may be a that night, but hold on baby, the morning is on the way. That night, but when the morning was now come, two things about the morning. Number one, they encountered the master's presence. Verse five, they encountered the master's presence. It said, but when the morning was come, there stood Jesus. He was really not that far away. There stood the Lord. Even though they ran out on him. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, the last time he spoke to them, he told them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit that was going to come on the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. But instead of going to Jerusalem, waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit of the Pentecost, they say, we'll do our own thing. We're going to go fishing. That was not in the plan. Now, he don't get mad at you if you go fishing all the time. But right now, that was not the plan. They didn't go to Jerusalem like he told them to. Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Because on the day of Pentecost, John baptized you with water, but I'm coming with Holy Ghost fire. Don't miss it. They're not in the will of God. They're in rebellion. They're not where they need to be. They're not what they need to be. They're not doing one thing Jesus told them to do. But instead of keeping his distance and remaining silent. Letting them go on in their own failure. He showed up when they did not deserve it. He showed up when they were not looking for him. They wouldn't, by, by the way, they were not on that boat praying and having kumbaya. They were not high fiving it on that boat. That was like a Baptist church. Everybody was mad at everybody on that boat. Well, Simon Peter don't know how to drive and Thomas don't know how to do the nets. It's his fault. It's the, I mean, they're not having sweet fellowship. They're not doing a, hundred, a Psalm 138 on that boat. How good and how pleasant this when brethren dwell together in unity. They have disunity. They don't understand. They're not fellowshipping. They're not in the will of God. They're not right with God. But Jesus came anyhow. They were undeserving, but Jesus came anyhow. Oh, by the way, before you sprout your Baptist wings and fly to utopia, remember this now, if God only blessed us when we deserved it, if God only blessed us when we were right, if God only blessed us when we were what we ought to be, we would go without blessing many times. But aren't you glad in spite of us, not because of us? In spite of us and not because of us. 
Aren't you glad His mercy and His love and His grace, His patience, oh boy, and His long-suffering gives Him the sovereign ability to look beyond our fault, look beyond our weakness. You say, why would God bless us even though we're undeserving? He loves us. He died for me. He shed His blood for me. He gave heaven's best for my soul. And even though I've not prayed like I should, and I've not given like I should, and I've not given my everything like I should, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm weak, sometimes I fail the Lord, sometimes I fall short of my own expectations, much less everybody else's. But I want to go on record and say, though I fail the Lord, He's never failed me. And when I'm not, He always is. And can I remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus Christ is everything that He claimed to be and a whole lot more. And it's not your faithfulness that counts. It is God's faithfulness. Because when we're not, He always is. They encountered the Lord's presence. And I love the way Jesus spake to them. Now, they're not doing what he told them to do. They're in disobedience. They're not where they need to be. And Jesus could have come out there and said some heartfelt, horrible things to them. But he walks out there in the darkest hour of their night and says, Children. They were not acting like children of God. They may be acting like little children, but not God's children. They weren't acting like God's children. They were not thinking like God's children, but they were still His child. Aren't you glad even when I don't act like a child of God? And sometimes we don't think like a child of God. And we don't do some things all the children of God ought to do. I'm still his child. Once a child of God, you're in the family. You may have to go to the wood post and get a little chastening, but that lets me know that he loves me even more. Children, 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 do you have any meat? And I just, in my imagination, you know, you can say no a thousand ways. No. No, no, but probably like with this crowd I'm fishing with, no. The greatest thing they'd done was admit it. They could not do it without him. And they said, no. He said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Cast it on the right side, six and a half foot. Cast it on the right side. And I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, up. Not catching anything here. If I go six and a half feet, I mean, what's the difference? It's not the amount of the direction. It's who's telling you the direction to go. It's complete obedience to the will of God. And when they got to obeying the will of God, when they got uh, submitted uh, to the commands of the master, when they just simply did what he had told them to do. And by the way, whether you can figure it out or not, whether you can compute it or not, whether it makes sense or not, if you'll just do what he said, it will make the difference in your life and in mine. 
And when they obeyed what he said, just six and a half feet, when they obeyed what he said, their zero came to 153. Their nothing came into something. Their loss came into gain. They found there's only one way to be happy in Jesus, even in a nighttime crisis, and that is to trust and obey. If we would just obey God, He will move in your life and move in mine. i close with this. They encountered the Master's presence. Look in the text. They enjoyed the master's provisions. They get on board. They put them fish on board. They pull up to the shore and they get off the shore. And there's already a fire built. There's already fish laid on the fire. And I love this. And I've been on a diet, but I'm doing my best. And bread. It can't be all bad if the Lord gave it to his disciples. You just ain't supposed to eat the whole loaf by yourself. Anybody here likes bread, pies and cakes? Man, I love it too good. But when they got to the shore, there was already a fire. There was already fish and there was already bread. And Jesus said, come and dine. He provided their every need. They're out there with nothing and when they get to shore in the will of God, they find out the need has already been met. The prayer has already been answered. The battle's already been won. Yes, they got to enjoy the master's provisions. Why? Because when he tells you he's going to do something, he will not falter. He will not forget. He will not fail. But my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. God will provide. If we'll just do what he says. And so when Jesus turns the night into day, when Jesus turns zero into 153, when Jesus turns their nothing into something, the first person to know him was that disciple whom Jesus loved. He said to those other guys, It's the Lord. I recognize his voice. I've seen his power. The Holy Spirit has just reminded me that the God of the past is the God of the present. And can I remind you the God of the past is the God of the present. He will be the God of the future. Where you've not been, what you've not seen, God's already got the way cleared. He is going to do what he said he would do. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Because when you've been sitting where the others wouldn't sit, you'll stand where the others don't stand. And you'll get to serve when the others don't serve. And you'll get to see what the others don't see. You say, Brother Joe, where are you going from this? Well, starting next Sunday, I'm going to tell you exactly what John saw. You say, what did he see? We're going to go to the book of the Revelation. Tell you what he saw. He saw the Lamb of God at the throne of God. He saw him walking in the midst of the candlesticks. 
He saw the devil put out of business forever. And he said, and I, John, saw the holy city. I want to tell you, I'm glad I got to sit with him. I'm glad I've got to stand for him. I'm glad I get to serve with him. But one day I'm going to get to see him. Don't you doubt in the darkness what God has revealed to you in the light. You keep walking by faith. We're standing together, Lord. We love you this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel.